Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good, good. I'm curious, I'm curious, how many of you enjoy kind of keeping up with and in the know with the British royal family? How many of you kind of, you can be, it's not a sin. You can raise your hand. You're not confessing something here, right? Okay. Yeah, I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here's what, here's what I ask. So um, lately we've just been watching some things on TV, uh, 60 minute interviews and Netflix docuseries and uh, um, even The Crown, which I know is fiction, but loosely based on, you know, the, the British royal family. And I heard this week, that Prince Harry released a book, a memoir, and it broke like a ton of records, like 1.4 million copies sold in the first day. And it, just, it made me think, because um, I, I don't know if I ever get around to reading that, but, or not, but, but it just made me think, do you know what the most sold book in all of history ever is? The Bible, yeah, hands down. There's nothing that even comes close to it. Like, I don't know what second but it's not even close to the Bible. In the United States, on average, since 1950, over 20 million copies of the Bible are sold every single year, every single year. Last weekend, we started a two-week mini-series called How to Study This Most Popular Book, the Bible. And we're gonna wrap that up and do part two today. And if you missed last weekend, because this is kind of part two, I would highly encourage you to watch it online, or listen to the podcast, because some of the stuff I'm, I'm going to share uh, today uh, is kind of building on that. And, um, and so that'll hopefully fill in some of the gaps. But the Bible is amazing. It's amazing. It's where we learn about God's love story for us, his people. It, 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 it's where we, we can go and read it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the words on the page can come alive to us. God can speak to us and, and we can hear, learn to hear his voice in it and see how it applies to our lives today. And if I could only read one book for the rest of my life, if, if I could only read one, it, it wouldn't be Prince Harry's memoir. And that's nothing against him. It, just, it wouldn't be, it would be the Bible, like easy, super easy, no, no questions asked. Like, um, and I'm sure many of you would say the same thing, but the Bible can be, confusing at times. It can be challenging at times. I mentioned this last weekend, but the Bible is written by about 40 different authors, some living 1,500 years apart from each other in different settings, different cultures, very different culture than ours. And so that can make it really difficult at times for, for us to understand sometimes. And, and that means that we're gonna, we have to be trained. We have to be equipped. We have to, be, we have, to have the right tools to know how to understand what we're reading when we go to the Bible. And it's just like any project you might do around your house or fixing your car. You have to have the right tools and you have to know how to use them. If you don't have the right tool, it's going to make a project take a lot longer. It's probably going to be a, a lot more frustrating. You might be tempted to say a few four-letter words like darn, right? Uh, uh, and, and sometimes if you don't have the right tool, you don't know how to use it, you can actually do damage, right? You can hurt yourself or you can hurt somebody else. Um, a couple weeks ago, you remember when it got really cold there and it dropped like 50 degrees and like the overnight and our furnace had a little trouble keeping up and 
And, and I, I called my friend Chris and I, cause I know he knows about this stuff. And he walked me through a few things to kind of check. And, and, and he said, Try, check this one thing, see if you can take out this screw and, and, and get this part out and see if you can clean it. And the problem is my screwdriver wouldn't reach in there. And so I, had to, I could get my hand in there, but I couldn't get my screwdriver in there. So I, try, I had to turn the screw with my hand. Have you ever tried to turn a screw with your hand? Yeah, it doesn't go very well. Like it, just, it tore up my fingers a lot. Um, about 15 years ago, uh, I was building this project for my wife, Sarah. I was making this project out of wood and I was using a standard screwdriver to try to push this little piece of metal, this little metal sliver into a piece of wood. And I was pushing with everything that I had. And you can probably imagine what happened. This, the screwdriver slipped and I shoved the screwdriver pretty far into my right hand. And I'm pretty lucky that I didn't do a lot of any permanent nerve damage, but I have a, a good inch long scar in the palm of my hand to just remind me not to do stupid things like that again. Um, but, but, um, but we can, we can, we can hurt ourselves, right? If we don't have the right tool or we don't know how to use a tool in a proper way. And unfortunately that's true about the Bible as well. It's true about the Bible as well. I mean, countless people have been hurt by the word of God being misused and abused. Many of you have probably been hurt. Maybe the person even had good intentions but they didn't understand what they were saying or what they had read and, they, and it caused damage. Last week, we, 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 we talked about how we need to have the right tools and we need to learn how to use those right tools when it comes to reading the Bible. And I talked about five tools last week. I talked about acknowledging our bias, using multiple translations, beginning with the end in mind, looking for the plain meaning and, and that context matters. And I wish I had time to kind of go over all those again. We don't, so that's why I would encourage you if you weren't here to go listen to that online or watch it online. Um, but we're gonna kind of talk about the second five or the last five today and jump in with that. If you um, are a note person, we actually have notes. If you didn't see them when you came in, you can grab them back there. That way um, you can kind of follow along. But let me start by, by praying and then we'll look at these, these five tools today. So Lord Jesus, just thank you for your presence here. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for those watching online. We ask, Lord, that you would come today and that you would just reveal yourself in, in a new way. I pray that as we talk about these tools, that just one of them would be really, really helpful. At least one of them would be helpful to every single person here. I pray that the Bible would, would, would your word would just come alive to us, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for your story. Um, just pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. So this, this again, if you were here last week, it might've felt a little bit more like school rather than church. It's gonna feel like that probably again today. Um, so I hope maybe that's a good thing. Maybe this is a bad thing. I don't know, depending if you like school or not. Um, but the, the, the tool I wanna start off talking about, which is number six in your notes. Um, the first one today though is different genres read differently. Different genres read differently. And like I mentioned earlier, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but God didn't choose to write it all on stone tablets with his finger. He chose to inspire 40 different people to put it down to paper. 
right? And many of these different authors wrote using the techniques of different genres or different styles that were popular in their culture in their day and age. You know, we tend to think of the Bible as one thick book, right? But, but, but I almost want us to think of it as almost like a bookshelf full of books, right? And if I go to my bookshelf, I, I, probably, I have all different kinds of books with different, all different genres. And depending on the book I pull off, that's gonna, whatever genre that is, that's gonna impact how I read it, how I interpret it, right? We don't, we don't read all kinds of literature with the same like, perspective the same way. And they don't all follow the same rules. We don't read the news, right? The same way that we read a science fiction novel, right? Which is probably a good thing. Otherwise we might think that a science fiction novel is actually happening. <laughs> could cause lots of panic. Uh, we don't read a Facebook post the same way we read music lyrics or nutrition facts on the back of a food label, right? The Bible is full of different genres of literature, and depending on what genre it is, we use different rules to interpret what we're reading. So what are some of the different genres that we find in the Bible? Well, we find historical narrative, we find wisdom literature, we find worship, we find prophetic books, we find the Gospels, we find epistles and we find apocalyptic literature. These are kind of the categories of things that we find. And we don't have time to dive super deep into all of these, but I am gonna talk briefly about each one just to help us um, have an idea about it. And you don't need to write all this stuff down. This is back in the appendix of your notes. So uh, I don't wanna see people scrambling to go super fast. But if you open the very first page of your Bible and you, you open and you start in Genesis, uh, you're going to be starting off reading in the genre of historical narrative. Okay, that's historical narrative. Other books that include that are the rest of the first five books known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the other historical books in the Bible would be Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And all of these books really show the historical record, the historical record of the Jewish people and of God's leadership over them. You know, and they were written down so that the Jewish people could remember their history, communicate and pass it along to their, to their ancestors or, or to their descendants, I should say. And, 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 it, and it was meant to be read to remember all that God had done for them in the past. And so we, too, we should read it like a, a history textbook when we, we go to those books. We shouldn't read it looking for some secret hidden meaning like I talked about last weekend, but rather we should be looking at it to understand what has happened in history. You might have heard it said that history is simply his story. Have you ever heard that before? History is his story. And it's through these stories that we can learn about the, the faithful character of God. And we can see that if if God can love and use really flawed, broken people like Moses, like, like David and so many others, then, then he can love and, and use us and be with us too. So that's, that's kind of the, uh, an overview of historical narrative. Another genre we find is wisdom literature. And that's a, wisdom literature was a common style of writing, not just in the Bible, but just of a lot of different um, uh, people in, in that time period. Uh, in the Bible, the books that would fall into this category are Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And we should read them more like we're reading philosophy rather than a historical textbook. One of the common themes that we, or things that we see written and used in wisdom literature is something known as parallelism, where we can see that the writer uses two lines 
using metaphors to compare or contrast two consecutive things to kind of get their point across. So for example, we see in Proverbs 12, 25, we see uh, 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 this proverb, it says, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. He's comparing a foolish person compared to a wise person. And so we see this parallelism all throughout uh, wisdom literature. And it, it helps to just provide practical wisdom in our life that we can apply in our life. I know, I know a number of people who, who take up the practice of reading one chapter of Proverbs every single day. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and most months have 31 days. So if you just think, hey, today's the the 14th or whatever day it is, you're right. I'm going to read the 14th chapter and just filling our minds with, with biblical wisdom. is just going to enhance our life. It's going to be, it's going to help you. That's the, that's wisdom literature. Uh, another genre we find is worship, worship in the Bible. And that is mostly found in the Psalms, but also song of songs or sometimes known as the song of Solomon. But our worship, um, they're, they're, these worship songs are written like music today where they're, they're, they're musical lyrics that were, that were sung. And so the structure is rhythmic. The structure is full of metaphor and meant to express mood and emotion and connect with our hearts. You know, Psalm, Psalm 18, 2, David says this, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, we're not supposed to read that and think, just, is God literally made of stone walls? No, we're not, no, no. It's meant to be a metaphor, right? David is trying to express in his heart how he knows God is his protector. And, and, and worship, it connects with our soul in a different way than the historical books or, or wisdom literature do. The prophetic books, kind of moving along, the prophetic books are kind of a unique genre of their own. They're a mix between historical narrative in poetry, there's, there's, there's oracles and things in there. And there are, there are five major prophetic books in the Bible. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then there are 12 minor prophets, prophetic books in the Bible. Amos, Hosea, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Say that five times fast, right? <laughs> um, and, and the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is not that the major prophets were more important. It's just that they just were long-winded. They just wrote longer books. So the major books, the major prophetic books, they're just longer and the minor prophetic books are just shorter. Um, I find that the prophetic books are some of the more confusing books of the Bible for people to understand, mostly because the context isn't always clear and they're not always found in chronological order. For example, the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea is writing, and he's writing during a time period that we find in the historical narrative book of 2 Kings. The problem is, if you are reading through your Bible from the first page, the second page, the third page, and just straight through, Hosea and 2 Kings are about 500 pages apart from each other. So if you're, if you're going through the Bible in a year or something like that, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be months after you read 2 Kings until you get to Hosea. So, so my advice and encouragement, if you're reading the prophetic books, is to take just a minute or two and do just a quick little research and find out what time period that is happening at and find the, the parallel part in the, 
in the, in, in the historical books of the Bible that go along with it and kind of read them together so that you understand the context of, of what's happening while that, while that prophet is, is writing, if that makes sense. Also, there are, there are Bible reading plans. I know we have one of them out on the counter that are more chronological Bible reading plans. And they, they, they help do that. They help kind of put those parts where the, the prophetic books, where they actually are happening. So you kind of are reading the Bible out of order, but it's actually happening in the, the chronological order. The next genre is the gospels, which are traditionally Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm gonna kind of throw in the book of Acts in there. It's technically not a gospel, but the Acts was written by Luke. It's kind of part two of his gospel. And, and they're similar to historical narrative in that they're telling the story the history of Jesus and the history of the early church, but really they're more read like a biography, like a biography with a twist. And that twist is that they're, they're evangelistic. They're evangelistic in nature. They are intended to cause a response from the reader, reader to either accept Jesus or deny him. John writes this towards the end of his gospel account of Jesus. He writes this in chapter 20. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, these just aren't a biography like about Prince Harry or something like that, right? These are a biography about the prince of the world, right? And, and, and they're about Jesus, the savior, the Messiah, and they're evangelistic. They require a response from the reader. They require us to either say, yeah, I do believe that. And I do believe in you, Jesus. And I do want to follow you. Or, or no, I'm not going to believe that. And I'm not going to put my faith in you. The second to last genre found in the Bible is the, is the epistles, which is essentially a, a fancy word for just saying letters. They're letters, and so they should be read like we read a letter. And there are lots of letters in the Bible. Many of them are written by a man named Paul. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are all written by Paul. And then there are other letters by various other people, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, and and Jude. And one helpful tip I would give in reading the biblical letters is that whenever possible, um, the, when you're reading it, at first when you're reading it, I would encourage you to read the letter if possible in one sitting, from beginning to end. It's a little tricky in some of the longer letters, like Romans, it's a little long. But if if possible, start start sit down and read the whole letter in one sitting. Because if somebody wrote you a letter, somebody that you really cared about somebody that, that maybe you knew loved you or you really, you cared what they thought. Or they were maybe a mentor to you or a loved one to you. And you got the letter. Would you sit down and read like three lines of it and then set it off to the side and then pick it up the next day and read the next three lines and then set it off to the side and then pick it up and take a month and a half to get through it? No, you wouldn't do that. You would sit there and read. You want to read the whole letter from beginning to end. That's how they were intended to be read. And so I would encourage you, if you're reading the, the, the epistles, the letters in the Bible, if you can, sit and read the whole thing. And then if you want to go back and kind of study smaller pieces of it. Um, but I think that's a helpful, helpful tip. And then finally, the last genre found in the scriptures is apocalyptic literature. And again, sometimes people think that this is only found in the Bible. Actually, apocalyptic literature was a, was a common style of writing 
in the ancient days. Um, it's not just found in the Bible, but apocalyptic literature is eschatological in nature, which is a big fancy word that means last study or the study of last things or the study of basically the, the end times. And in the Bible, the book Revelation would be the primary book that falls into the category of apocalyptic literature. But there are actually parts of Zechariah, parts of Daniel, even parts of Paul's letter to Ephesians have been considered apocalyptic. And, and apocalyptic literature by nature is full of symbolism. It's full of symbolism. Uh, and it's been suggested that we should read apocalyptic literature almost like we read the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings, looking for the symbolism and not necessarily thinking that everything is meant to be taken literally, like beasts and different things. And, um, and I'd love to talk about that more because I know that that is probably the one that has the most questions I get from people. But next week, we're gonna start a new series looking at, for a number of weeks, the book of Revelation. And so we'll, be, we'll really, so hold your questions and thoughts about that till, till for Michael next week. He, he's gonna answer all your questions in 30 minutes next week. Um, uh, so, that, so that was, I know that was like a quick flyby and a lot of information, but, but this is what I want you to take away from that. The Bible is, is full of different genres and we should take that into consideration when we're reading uh, different parts of the Bible, that different genres uh, require or have different rules when it comes to interpreting them. And, and we don't, just like we don't read a cereal box, the back of a cereal box, the same way we read the Chronicles of Narnia, we shouldn't read Ezekiel the same way we read Ecclesiastes. So enough said about that. The, the seventh tool that I want to talk about, and these will all go a little quicker, is knowing the original audience. Knowing the original audience. We need to remember that the Bible was not originally written with the 21st century reader in mind. When Isaiah wrote his prophetic book, he was writing to encourage the Jewish people living in his day and age, his Jewish brothers and sisters. When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, he wasn't thinking about us. He was thinking about his friends living in the city of Philippi that he had met, that he had shared the gospel with, that he had discipled, that he was missing and longing to be with again. He wasn't thinking about us. It's important in helping us to, a couple ways to not just project our bias onto the, onto the Bible, like we talked about last weekend, and also it's helpful because so many times we come to the Bible and we read like a confusing passage and it's confusing and it doesn't make sense to us, but to the original reader, they would have known exactly what it was talking about. It was like common language in their day and age, but to us, it might seem really confusing or just because we're living in different cultures, different times. Um, yesterday, I, was, uh, I walked into the living room and my kids were watching Back to the Future. Do you remember, remember the movie Back to the Future? I always loved that, that movie series. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't remember the movie, it, like there's this young guy, uh, M Marty McFly is the character name and played by Michael J. Fox. He, he's playing like an 18 year old, but he was probably 38 at the time. <laughs> I don't know, he always looks so young. And, uh, but, he, but he goes back in time and he's, you know, it takes place you know, he's, he's living in the 80s, but he goes back in time to the 50s. And he meets his friend, Doc Brown, who he knows in the 80s as an older, an older guy. And he's meeting a younger version of him for the first time. And he starts using all this. He's talking, he's talking like a kid from the 80s. And he keeps using this slang word, heavy. 
saying everything is heavy. Do you remember that word? When people used to use that a lot, he was saying everything's heavy. And the doc is so confused. He, he, he's a scientist and he's so confused. And he says something like, you, there's that word heavy again. You keep using the word heavy. Is something wrong with the earth's gravitational pull in the future where everything's heavier? He cannot fathom he cannot fathom what he's talking about. And the reason why is because he's from a different time period. It would have been something, you know, somebody, everybody living in the 80s knew. That's why it was funny, right? In the movie, it was everybody knew what he was talking about, but, but Doc didn't understand. It's the same way when we come to the Bible, you know, that we can, we can misunderstand it sometimes because we aren't thinking about the original audience and what it would have meant to them. Sometimes it's not only that we misunderstand it, but then we misapply it. We, we misapply it. You know, there's a common verse that I, that I hear a lot, and, and many of you probably know it. It's a beautiful verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you probably have it memorized. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future, right? That's a beautiful verse. It's an encouraging verse, right? And, and I often will hear people use that but, but sometimes I, I don't think people realize that they're not, they're not understanding the, what it meant to the original audience. You know, the original audience, when Jeremiah said that, he was saying that to a group of people who were about to go spend the next 70 years in exile in another country. That, that, that beautiful verse is not gonna see that promise fulfilled for 70 years. The, the people of Israel had been sinful. They had sinfully rebelled against God. And so as a, as a natural consequence, he's going to have, there's going to be this time of them having to go into exile and, and, uh, and a time of repentance. And, 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 and that verse is, would have been something they would have held on to, but they would have known that it wasn't going to happen, you know, in the near, near future. But sometimes we, 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 we just, we, we hear somebody who's going through something hard and, and we, we might quote that verse or think of that verse and we want, it, we, we want good things for them tomorrow, right? We want good things for them right now, that God is gonna prosper you right now. He's gonna, tomorrow you're gonna get that raise. I just know it. Tomorrow, you know, your business is gonna get that sale or, and we just know, but, but the truth is that's kind of out of, like, that's not exactly what that verse was originally meant to the original audience. And so we just, ha we have to be careful. Of course, God has a, a future for you and there's hope for you. It just might not look finan like financial prosperity right now. Does that make sense? Am I making sense in that? Um, the Bible, when we're reading it, we have to first initially think about then and there before we apply it to here and now. We have to have a good understanding of what it meant to the original audience then and there before we can effectively and apply it to here and now. Um, and, but we want to apply it to here and now. That's important. And that leads to the next tool, the eighth tool, balancing interpretation with revelation. Balancing interpretation with revelation. What do I mean by that? Interpretation is all about what we've been talking about. Like, it's all about the objective, like studying of the scriptures, like doing the nerdy work. <laughs> and I say that, you know, because I feel like I, I like the nerdy work of, of, of studying the Bible, of, of looking for the plain meaning, of using multiple translations, of trying to understand how the original audience would have, have understood it. It's balancing that with, with, with revelation. And by revelation, I don't, I'm not referring to the last book of the Bible here. What, by, what I mean by that is by allowing us and being open to God and the Holy Spirit 
revealing himself to you, to me, as we read the scriptures. And, and then asking God to show us how he wants to apply it to our lives today. You know, it's where, we're, where, where, where we just were focusing about talking about then and there a little bit ago. Now it's like, okay, now that we know what it meant then and there, how does it apply to, to here and now? And interpretation and revelation are not meant to be opposed to each other. They need to be balanced, balanced with each other. The danger is when they get out of balance with each other. Let me, you know, let me ask you this. Can somebody, can somebody read the Bible with a scholarly attitude, a desire to learn, to understand, and yet be in here hard-hearted to the gospel? Be hard-hearted to the, to the evangelistic nature of God wanting to, to come into their life? Is that possible? Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, that's definitely possible. When I was in college, I took a class on Old Testament studies and it was kind of an overview of the whole Old Testament. It's a great class. And a lot of the students, myself included, were Christians. And so as we're studying the Old Testament with our professor, uh, we're bringing up all this stuff. Of, wow, look at that. That's awesome. That's pointing to Jesus. And look at that connection leading to Jesus. And we're having all these conversations with our professor and she's letting this go on. And, and, and it was a shock to me at the end of the quarter to find out that my professor wasn't Jewish or a Christian. I thought, how can that be? How can, how can, how can that be? But she, she was in love with the academic idea of the Jewish people, of studying them as a culture and studying a people. And yet it hadn't yet changed in here. I hope since then it has, I, I do, but it's possible, that is possible to focus solely on interpretation, but be closed off to the revelation nature of God, of wanting, him wanting to come close. So we can, we can also swing too far on the opposite side of the spectrum too. And that's where we can get kind of dangerous. We can be so consumed with chasing an experience of God, of having a, a new revelation from God. If it's not, but if it's not grounded in the foundation of the Bible, if it's not standing on that firm foundation, that can be very dangerous. That's how cults form, right? That's, how, that's when God has, has revealed something new to a really charismatic individual who, who draws a crowd of people. And God has told me something new, but if it's not grounded in the Bible, if it's not founded on the, the tried and true nature and character of God, then that can lo cause lots of damage, cause lots of people to get hurt over history. Derek Morphy, who I, I quoted last week a couple of times, he says this, if we have the word without the spirit, we dry up. If we have the spirit without the word, we blow up. If we have the spirit and the word, we grow up. What, I mean by, what does he mean by that? If we have the correct interpretation of the word of God, if, the, the, the correct interpretation of the word of God, but it isn't alive, maybe it's academic at best, then eventually you know, our, it's gonna be dry. It's not gonna be life-giving. It's not gonna be fresh wa living water. If, if on the other side, we have the Holy Spirit revealing himself to us, but we aren't grounded in the correct interpretation of the Bible, we'll blow up. We'll go off and do you know, crazy things, all in the name of God. But if we have both, if we have both, if, if, if they're balanced, then we will grow and mature in our faith with the Lord. Has to be balanced, has to be balanced. All right. Number nine, the ninth tool, and these last two are fairly brief. 
um, is study in community. Study in community. I'm convinced that you'll learn more about the Bible in one month of studying with a group of other Christians than you would an entire year of studying it by yourself. Because we can learn so much from each other. We can learn so much as people are sharing in the conversation as God is revealing, you know, the new things about the Bible through the Holy Spirit to other people. This is one of the main reasons why we every week plug small groups so much and would encourage you if you're not in one to check one out. You know, last week uh, in our small group, I wasn't leading one of my co-leaders, Ben, was leading a discussion. We talked about a story, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, a story I've read probably hundreds of times. And, and after that 20, 30 minute conversation with just this four or five guys, I really, I was like, it was like, I was, it was like the parable had, was like the first time I was ever reading it. It was like, I was learning all these new things, all these things I never thought about before from our conversation had, had come out. And I was the one in the room who was probably supposed to be the expert, but I felt like I was learning all this stuff from them. And it was just, it was, it really, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, and again, so I, we, if I would, can't encourage you enough, find other Christians to talk about the Bible and study the Bible with together, it will greatly enhance, enhance your understanding of the word. And, and the last one, the 10th one, is, is to consult the experts, consult the experts. And if the worship team wants to kind of make their way up while I talk about this one. Um, when we're reading the Bible and you come upon a passage that's confusing or unclear and you don't understand what you're reading, there are some really, really smart people out there that have spent their entire lives studying this stuff. And, and we can have access to it and we can learn from them. There are wonderful commentaries and concordances and, and dictionaries and handbooks. And I put a few recommendations of a few things in the notes, but there's just one I, I wanna just kind of promote a little bit. It's this book called How to Read the Bible Book by Book by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Um, this has been a, this is a really great resource. Um, I have recommended this to a number of people over the years. Uh, I gave it to my mom a couple years back, who's been a Christian her whole life. And she just keeps it by her Bible every day when she's reading it in the morning. And she's just talked about how, how wonderful it's made the scriptures come alive to her. Um, the, this book is not a book you read cover to cover. It's, it's a book where, let's say, you're, let's say you're reading the prophet Joel, and you're like, I don't know what was happening at the time of Joel. Well, you can open to this book in five pages, real short, five pages. It'll talk about the time period Joel was writing, the context, uh, what was going on, themes, kind of a quick walkthrough. And then when you go to read the book of Joel, it's like, oh, this, this makes sense now. I understand. I have some, some understanding of where I'm going. I know not everybody has the time and the money to have bookshelves and bookshelves of commentaries and commentaries and commentaries. I think this is a great resource for, for you know, a lay person to have. Uh, and I'm not making any money off of this, by the way. Like, I'm just, just I enjoy it. So, um, so take that for what it's worth. Um, now, just to kind of wrap up, this week and last week, I, I know weren't normal sermons. Maybe again, it's felt a little bit like school more than church. And I know I, I piled on a lot of information, but, but I hope at least something Something stuck. And, 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 and the reason why I hope that is is because the Bible is amazing. It, it really is. If I really could only read one book for the rest of my life, it would, be, it would be the Bible. I will never grow tired 
or lose interest in it. It's the only book that we can not only learn about the prince of the world, but we get to meet with him face to face as we're reading the pages of it. And so this year, that's my prayer for you all. It's our, my prayer for us as a church family that this calendar year, we would grow in our love of the word of God more and more and more. And that this year he would meet with us in the pages of the Bible and transform us in new ways. Amen? Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.